Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Tell them the video. We're in a series on the Book of Romans, um, probably one of the most important doctrinal books as far as us knowing why we're saved, what we're supposed to believe, uh, as any any book in the uh, in, in the New Testament. We're going to be in Romans chapter five, verse one through eleven today. So if you want to find your uh, find your way there, and uh, uh, I'll be there in a moment. We'll be breaking it down, going through it. I wanted to stop before. Uh, um, even gave you the title or anything else because I failed to do this earlier. I want to thank any of you that volunteered or uh, rode yesterday to help out with Special Olympics. Our church hosted a uh, an event here that local law enforcement was uh, putting on, and uh, we uh, were able to raise uh, all, right at twelve hundred dollars uh, to go to Special Olympics. And uh, some of those athletes were there, and we were pulling back into the parking lot, and it was uh, you know really uh, really neat. You could tell they they appreciated the. Uh, the support. So if you help some way, whether it was uh, ride a motorcycle or set tables up or whatever, I just wanted to uh, thank you for uh, for that. Um, the title of the series is When in Rome, and uh, what we're looking at uh, today is going to be about how faith in, uh, in Christ brings us peace. Um, I asked this later in, in the introduction in the first service, but I think I'll just go ahead and ask it now. In, in this service, seemed like an inappropriate time to do so. It's uh, probably a stupid question for me to ask, but uh, how many here feel like you could use a little bit more peace in your life? A dumb question for me to ask. You know. you, you'll see as we get in the message, there are different kinds of peace. Uh, for some of you, there might be a possibility that you need peace with God, and you've never settled that through Jesus yet. But a lot of us that have peace with God still need the peace of God because we've got a lot of junk and stuff in our lives and uh, need to know kind of how to make it through that. Paul in Romans deals with five main themes. He talks about sin. He talks about salvation. He talks about sanctification. He talks about the sovereignty of God. And he talks about service, how we ought to be willing to serve Him. He, without any apology, shows us that we are accountable before God uh, because we are sinners and we need salvation. The problem is we can't do anything to save ourselves. Uh, Romans tells us this when it comes to salvation. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. In other words, you can't make yourself righteous by obeying the law, by trying to be good. Uh, It says even though the law and the prophets bear witness to it, they talked about it. But the righteousness of God is this. It's through faith in Jesus Christ to all who do what? Believe. It's based upon faith. It's not based upon our works or our own uh, personal goodness at all. Paul, even as he was talking in chapter 4, using Abraham, right in chapter 4, using Abraham as an illustration of salvation being by faith, Paul asked this question, what does the Scripture say? And then he answered it for us. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. I want to submit to you the most important question that you need to ask always when you're dealing with issues and questions or things in your life is really this. What does the Bible say? You know, what does God have to say? Especially when you're talking about salvation, because you see, when it comes to our being made righteous, 
It doesn't matter what your opinion is or what somebody else's opinion is. The only opinion that counts is God's opinion. And God's opinion is this, salvation is by faith. We believe God, we take God at His word, and that is counted to us as righteousness. And that's the opinion that matters. Today, as we continue with this theme of salvation, we're going to talk about, as I said a moment ago, faith in, in Christ, bringing peace into our, into our lives. And as we do so, we're going to look at, at four great blessings, I think, that we can draw out of these verses, and I'll just read the verses as, uh, as we go. Here's the first blessing, I think, we find in, in these verses. Faith in Christ brings peace with God. There, there's a difference of having peace of God in your heart and having peace with God. Look at what Paul writes in verse 1 and, and 2. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, that's all the stuff he's just been talking about in the book of Romans. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The, the word that he uses here for peace literally means to, to join or join back together what was separate and thus have peace. The, the peace of God he's writing about is a peace that we need because in verse 10, you'll see later on in, in this passage today, it calls us enemies. We, we were enemies with God. Because of our sin, we were separated from God. Something has to happen in order for us to be brought back and joined together with God to where we have peace with Him. And that's what Paul's writing about. We've been justified by faith. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, if you've been made just like you've never sinned through faith, we have peace with God. We have been joined back together, even though we were separated because of our sin, through Jesus and what He did for us on the cross, we are at peace with God. I want you to look at three things in, in those two verses. First of all, justification by faith is what brings us peace. He said, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Some people try to obtain being made right before God or just before God by their works. The problem with that is this. Being made right with God by works doesn't work. Because if we're dependent upon works, when would we have ever done enough? I mean, if it's based upon my performance instead of His promise, when would I ever know that I had done enough to where I was okay with God? When would I ever do enough to where I had peace in my heart? Because I was at a point that I felt like, all right, I have now done enough to where I know I'm joined back together with God, so I have, so I have peace with Him. You see, if it's based upon our performance, it would be an impossibility. We would never, ever be able to attain that. Like I said, the Bible clearly said in verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we once were enemies, but now through Christ, we can be justified by faith. He said, since we have been justified by faith, here's when we get peace. Peace comes to our lives, to our heart, to our confidence in knowing we have a relationship with God when we settle this. When we settle that Jesus' shed blood has taken care of our sin problem. When we come to that point in our life that we settle the issue, it's not my performance, but it's what He did on the cross. It's His shed blood that settles my sin problem, that dealt with my sin problem, that brings me to the point in my life, or you to the point in your life, that you can be justified and have 
peace and know you're at peace with God. There's a culture in southern Mexico years ago that some missionaries were trying to, uh, to reach, the uh, uh, Chamulia uh, people there. And they did not have just a single word in their language that represented faith. Well, that's a pretty big deal if you're a missionary and you're going to try and teach them about faith in Jesus Christ and there's not one word you can use. So after they studied their language for a while, they came up with a phrase that I really, really like as a definition of faith. Here's the phrase that they used with the Chamuya people. Faith is this. They had a, a phrase in their language that communicated faith. Taking seriously what God has obligated himself to do. Man, I love that as a definition for us still yet in any language. Amen. Faith is that. Faith is us taking seriously what God has obligated himself to do. With that definition, you could translate Romans 5 like this. Therefore, since we've been justified through taking seriously what God has obligated himself to do, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What did God obligate himself to do? The Bible says he obligated himself to justify us. He obligated himself to render or to show us or to regard us as though we're innocent or just even though we're not. God chose by sending His Son to make the payment for our sins, something we can never do. God chooses to give us justification, to call us innocent even though we're guilty when we take God seriously at what He's obligated Himself to do. When we believe that. See, justification really has a couple of things to bear in it. Uh, being made right before God by faith gives you what I'm going to call judicial peace. Judicial peace is like you're sitting in a courtroom and you don't have a lot of peace because you know you're guilty and you understand that the law is right and you're wrong. But somehow the judge looks at you and even though you're guilty, the judge says, guess what? I'm going to let you go free and instead I'm going to bring my son in to the courtroom and I'm going to sentence my son in your place. That's what God did for us. Judicially, God brought His Son in, allowed His Son to be in our place. Not just to take our punishment by saying you're guilty, but He literally nailed Him to a cross and He shed His blood and He died for us so that through faith in Him, you and I can have judicial peace. We can be set free. And the law can never condemn us. Being justified by faith also gives us what I'm going to call a treaty type of peace. Remember a moment ago I said verse 10 says we were enemies with God? It's like we were at war against God and His kingdom. But when by faith we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, God sends, signs a treaty in the shed blood of Jesus, whereby He will never ever condemn us, make war against us again, because Jesus has already paid the price for our sins. And there's a treaty between us and heaven to where we are are set free by Him. So justification by, by faith, by believing, not by works, that would never give us peace. Justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ. That can bring peace into our lives. But then he goes on in verse 2, and he says this, Through Him we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. In other words, access to God's grace through faith also gives us peace. The awareness that you and I have access into the very grace of God. God's grace is this. God's grace is His unmerited favor. God's grace is something we don't deserve. God's grace is something that we don't earn. 
But by faith in Jesus, we get access to that grace. There's like this door that's opened up to where we literally can stand upon the grace and in the grace of God. Next week, we'll find this out. Next week, we'll find out that when we were sinners, we were in Adam. That's where our position was. But if you receive Christ as your Savior, now you're in Christ, and that's where your position is. But as Paul writes here that we gain access into this grace where we can stand, he uses a phrase in the perfect tense in the Greek that literally means this. When you receive Christ as your Savior, you are permanently and forever standing in the grace of God. In the perfect tense in the Greek, it means this. It means it's accomplished, it's happened already, but it has ongoing results forever. So the moment you and I receive Christ as our Savior, that means that we are in God's grace. It's accomplished through what Jesus did for us on the cross. We're in it now. We'll be in it tomorrow. We're in it forever because that's the promise that God makes us in Christ. When we receive Christ as Savior, we are perpetually forever in, standing in God's grace. The Jew, to give that a little bit more background for you, the Jew did not have full access to God. There's a thing called the tabernacle. One day out of the year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest who had been chosen could go into the most holy place and pour blood out on the mercy seat. That's the only time he was allowed access. The rest of the time, if anyone had gone in to that place that represented the holiness and the presence of God, they would have died. On the outside of the tabernacle, that's for the Jew. On the outside of the tabernacle, there's a white fence, more or less, of fabric that's all the way around the outside of the tabernacle. And it said to the Gentiles, which would be us, if you even walked into the outer court of the tabernacle, you would be killed. So we did not have full access to God, and the Jews did not have full access to God. But here's what Jesus did. The Bible tells us when Jesus died on the cross, that veil was torn from the top to the bottom, and we have full access to holy God. The Bible tells us that wall of perdition was removed, and we have full access to holy God. Ephesians 2 tells us this, And he, referring to Jesus, came and preached peace to you who are far off, the Gentiles, and peace to those who are near, the Jews. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The word access that's used in the verses we're looking at today is a special word that literally means this. It means you have access to a king by the favor of another person. That's what happened for us when we received Christ as our Savior. By the favor of Jesus Christ, we have access to the King of all the universe. And we stand there permanently in God's grace. Now, guys, I don't know for you, but that ought to give you a little bit of peace in your heart. Because if you're trusting in your own works and your own goodness, it's not going to do it. But if you understand it's based upon the finished work of Jesus, you can have peace because you have trusted in Christ as your Savior, because you have access to access that lasts forever and ever through what Jesus did for you on the cross, and you permanently stand in the grace of God. That ought to give you some peace in your heart and peace in your life. Faith in Jesus brings us peace. He goes on and he tells us this, second part of verse 2. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In other words, the hope of the glory of God gives us peace. The word that's translated rejoice there literally means to boast. We can boast in the hope of the glory of God. The word hope there is not the type of word we use. I hope that happens. I hope it takes place. 
But the word he uses for hope is this. It means to anticipate with pleasure. It means you have a confident expectation. So he's telling us that those of us who've been justified by faith, we can rejoice, we can boast in the hope that one day we will literally be in the very presence of the glory of God. In other words, one day you'll be in heaven. One day you'll see all this glory. And you can look at it as though it has already happened. You can be that confident and have a confident expectation that you will one day be in heaven with the Lord. And that ought to give you a a glorious hope, a confident expectation that gives you a peace that passes all understanding. Paul wrote about that. He said, in the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Think about that kind of peace. If I know I'm saved by faith, if I know I have access to a holy God and I stand permanently in His grace, if I know that I can boast about heaven, that without any doubt one day I will be there, man, that ought to give me some peace to boast about and to experience in my life. Now, I broke all that down for you, but I want you to see it together for a minute because I think this is really neat, the way all this fits together. Look look at the next slide. Uh, I'm sorry, next one. I'm ahead of you again. Still ahead of you. There you go. Consider this. Peace with God that we just talked about. Knowing that we're justified by faith. Jesus paid for our sins. Being at peace with God takes care of our past. I'm forgiven of my past sin. He'll no longer hold my sins or count my sins against me. Access to God. What Paul just wrote about there takes care of our present. Not only do I have confidence that my sins are forgiven right now in the life that I'm living, in the day-to-day life, in the junk that I face, in everything else, I've got very access to holy God because of what Jesus did. So that takes care of my present. Hope of the glory of God takes care of my future. I know my sins are forgiven. I know I have access to God right now. And I know one day I will be with him in glory forever and ever and ever. So what Paul writes about here ought to give you peace in your heart because whether you're talking about your past, your present, or your future, it's all taken care of by Jesus. Amen? Second main thing I want you to get this morning is, uh, is, is this. Faith in Christ. Faith in Christ produces the peace of God. We just talked about the peace with God. Peace with God. We were enemies. We've got to be brought back together with God. We were at war with Him. How will that happen? Jesus died on the cross for us. We believe that by faith, and that joins us back together with God. We're at peace with God. But see, sometimes even though we're at peace with God, we need to have the peace of God because our lives can be very tough. Tribulation can come. Problems can come. Stress can come. Sickness can come. Financial disaster can come. You can go through tribulation and and, and trouble and sorrow and suffering in your life. Look what he writes in these verses. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering does something for us. It produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. A moment ago, I was talking about some doctrinal truth. 
you knowing that you're in Christ, you knowing that you stand permanently in the grace of God, you knowing that you have access to God, you knowing without any doubt, if you're a Christian, if you trust in Christ as your Savior, that one day you'll experience the very glory of God. All that's doctrinal truth. And I love doctrinal truth. But a lot of times I need some practical truth, don't you? A lot of times I need to be able to figure out how I can make it through the junk that I'm facing in my life. How, you know, what in the world's going on when, when all of this stuff is, is, is hitting us? And here he's telling us that, that we can literally, as Christians, we can literally rejoice in sufferings. I'm not, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about being happy. I'm not talking about, you know, life's got you down and you just say, I want some more of that. And, and you're happy about it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm saying even though life is beating you up, even though you are suffering, you can still rejoice in it. Because you understand that God is using it to mature your faith and to make you more and more like Jesus. Now, some of you are thinking, man, I ought to be like Jesus by now. Because of stuff that you've gone through. When you look at the way he phrased that, he, he, he said more than that. Let me put that in context. What had he just written about? He just told us in the first two verses of chapter 5 that if we're justified by faith, we can have God's peace. He told us our past was taken care of. He told us our present is taken care of. We've got access to God. He just told us in verse 2 that our future... The hope of glory is taken care of by Jesus. Now, guys, I don't know about you, but all that sounds like pretty good stuff. Stuff that we ought to be thrilled about. Justified by faith. Access to God. Hope of glory. That's what he just wrote about. And then, in this verse, he starts out and he says more than that. So that makes me want to go back and read what he's just written. And he just wrote some really, really good stuff. And now he's going to talk about suffering and he says more than that. I can understand rejoicing in the glory of God, but then he says more than that. We ought to be able to rejoice even when we're facing suffering. We ought to be able to boast. Remember what the word meant? Rejoice means boast. We ought to be able to boast even when we're going through difficulties in our lives. How's that the case? Let me look, look at all he said right there, and I need to cover that this quick, so kind of, you know, try and stay with me. Here's what suffering does. Suffering, which, by the way, is pressure. It means to, to crowd. It means to be afflicted. Uh, tribulation is a word that it comes from. Uh, uh, means a, a rut, to be down in a track. I, I talked about that a few months ago in a different series of sermons that we were doing, and, and a lot of you agreed with me. You ever feel like you're down in a rut, and then the world just keeps running over the top of you? That's kind of the idea that he's given. The word that he uses here for suffering is a word that Paul used in his day and time that spoke of a heavy sled that they would drag back and forth across the top of grain to separate out the usable part from the unusable part. And that's what God really is using suffering for in our lives. It's not God being mean to us. It is God allowing suffering into our lives to where that unusable part we'd get rid of and we'd hold on to the good part, which is our faith in Him. 
So that kind of suffering, it produces, it's fully working, it's accomplishing, it's fashioning something in our lives. And he uses the word endurance, which means a cheerful, hopeful endurance or patience. The root word means a patient continuance. It literally means this, to stay or remain under, to bear trials or persevere. Now that's the opposite of what we want to do, isn't it? What happens when suffering or something that you don't like hits your life? What happens when pain comes to your life? Humanly speaking, what do we want to do? First thing, get rid of it. Last week, I, I told you I had a tooth that was really, really bothering me. Last week, I had a wisdom tooth on this side. I had the chance to get to go see the dentist on Tuesday. And they x-rayed it, and he already told me what I knew. It's infected. And he did tell me something I didn't know for sure if he'd tell me. He said, best thing to do is just to get it out instead of you paying extra money to do a root canal. And I was all in favor of that. He had an opening that day at 3 o'clock. I was there at 8 o'clock that morning. I said, let's get it out today. You want to know why? It had hurt for five days. I was sick and tired of it. I wanted to get rid of it. Now, it's still not over yet. It's still bothering me some, but it feels a lot better than it did. I had pain. I wanted to get out of the pain. That's the way we are in suffering hits our lives. When difficulties and problems come, we want to say, God, get it off of us, when what God is really wanting to do a lot of times is for us to stay under it and learn a lesson. For us to, to stay under it and, and, and He give us more endurance. Because here's what happens. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character means you've been tested, you've been tried, you've had the chance to prove yourself. See, the way we respond to suffering and pain in our lives, it's like a test. Are we going to trust in Him, depend upon Him, or are we just going to get mad and bitter and flee? God never, ever, if you're His child, He never, ever, ever allows pain into your life to make you bitter. It's always to make you better. It's always to try and mold you to where you'll be more mature and more like He wants you to be. So that suffering produces endurance in our lives, and as we endure things, that produces Christian character in our lives because guess what? I remember the last time I went through a problem. God helped me through it. I made it through it. There's a new problem. The same God that helped me before will help me now. There's future problems that will hit my life. The same God that helped me through all those will help me through any problem that I face in my life. That's why we need to have faith in Him. You see, having faith in Jesus Christ not only gives us peace with God, it gives us a peace of God. To where we're facing junk in our lives, we still can, can make it through. And then he says this, character produces hope. Character produces hope. Hope means to anticipate with pleasure, a confident expectation once again. It's not I hope so. It's this, as you make it through junk in your life with faith in Jesus Christ, stand under it, allowing Him to teach you and mold you however He wants to use the situation in your life. What it does ultimately is wind up give you a confident expectation that you're real, that you're authentic, that you have faith in Jesus, that you've made it through and you will make it through. That's what it does. And then he tells us this. Hope in God does not disappoint us. He said hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. When you're in suffering and pain and tribulation and trials and problems in your life, you will never, ever, ever be ashamed that you put your faith in Jesus. 
You'll never, ever be ashamed that you depended upon God to get you through it. That will never cause you to blush, never dishonor you, never disgrace you. Why? Because God's agape love, His benevolent love, has been poured into your heart. And the tense that He uses there in the Greek means that God has put His love in your heart in a fixed, permanent position. Faith in Jesus Christ gives you peace with God, brings you back together with Him. Because of that, the faith you have and the relationship you have with God through Jesus, you can trust and depend upon as you go through trial and problems and tribulation in your life. And you can have the peace of God in your heart. Because staying under pressure, He's doing something in our lives. It's hard for us to be happy when it, ha when it happens. But to be honest with you, when problems hit your life, you need to, it'll help you make it through it if you'll just say up front, God must be about to do something. God must be about to make me a little bit more like himself. God must be about to teach me some really important lessons. And, and I want to learn the lessons and have hope and anticipate that God's going to get me through it and I'll have the peace of God. Really, it looks like a, a formula if you think about it. Look at the formula. Testing plus Christ equals patience. Patience plus Christ equals character or experience. Experience plus Christ equals hope. Hope plus Christ never, ever will put you to shame because you've got the evidence of God's love poured out in our hearts. And then he goes on to write about God's love. In verse number 6 through 8, faith in the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ also gives us peace because we know God loves us. When we understand that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that we didn't deserve it, that we were sinners, and God loved us enough to send His Son, and His Son sacrificially died on the cross for us. When we understand God loves us that much, that also ought to pour peace into our lives. We ought to experience peace in our lives simply because we understand God loves us that much. Look what He says in verse 6 through 8. For while we were still weak at the right time Christ died for the ungodly for one will scarcely die for a righteous person though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners Christ died for us you know what ought to give you some peace in your life the faith that you have in Christ, knowing that He died on the cross for your sins, understanding that that clearly communicates to you beyond any doubt that the God of all the universe loves you. But you notice two things there. First of all, our condition, our condition, the condition that we were in without Jesus needs God's love. That's our only hope. He said, while we were still weak, the word means without strength or impotent, when we were powerless to do anything to save ourselves, he said we were ungodly. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He did not die for us because we deserved it, because we were good, because we were pretty enough. We were ungodly. We were irreverent. We were wicked as far as being compared to the holy God of all the universe. He didn't send Jesus to die for us because he thought, oh, look how beautiful and how sweet they are. No, we were exactly the opposite. See, we understand sacrificial love, but we don't understand it or practice it as clearly as we ought to. 
Our condition called for God's love, but, but Jesus' cross did this. Jesus' cross is what demonstrates the very love of God because he said, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. One of the highest expressions in our, in our culture of love and commitment is when somebody dies for somebody else. And while we recognize that as being sacrificial, people rarely do it. Most of the time when it does happen, it's like a parent died trying to save their child. Or trying to save their spouse. Or a soldier died trying to protect his other soldiers or giving us our freedom. Or a police officer dies in the line of duty. Or a fireman dies going into a fire. We understand all of that as sacrificial love. But those people, for the most part, were dying for somebody that they, that they felt for. People that might have been already their family or their close friends. You want to know who Jesus died for? Jesus died for his enemies. Verse 10, we were enemies with him. The text that we just read, we, we were without strength. We didn't deserve him to die for us. We were ungodly. We didn't deserve him to die for us. And yet Jesus died for us even though, they were, even though we were sinners. That puts on display for us. That shows us clearly how much he loved us. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God put on display, the King James uses the word commendeth. The translation I'm using today says show. It means to set together, to introduce, to exhibit, or display. God put on display for us to clearly see how much he loves us, and here's his display, his son nailed to a cross. We'll get poor mouthing sometimes and start acting like nobody cares for me, nobody loves me. How do I know God loves me? You know, and things like that. Can I tell you how you know God loves you? Look at the cross. He put His Son on it for you. That's how much God loves you. And if you would just buy into that and understand it, that God loved you so much, even though you didn't deserve it, you were a sinner, you deserved eternal hell forever. Yet Jesus died for you anyway God loved you that much that ought to communicate peace to your heart peace to your life God matter of fact he he loves rebels <laughs> he didn't die for people that deserved it or that were pretty or beautiful we were, we were in rebellion against him and he loved us that ought to give you peace Last reason why faith in Jesus ought to bring peace into your heart, into your life this morning is this. Faith in Christ saves us from God's wrath. We don't talk much about that in church these days. That's not a popular topic, but the Bible talks about it. But faith in Christ saves us from God's wrath and provides what I'm going to call reconciliation peace. Look at verse 9 through 11. It says, Therefore... We have now been justified by His blood. Much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more now that we are reconciled, 
Shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now we have now received reconciliation. God justified us. He made us just like we've never sinned by Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus dying on the cross in our place for us, in our faith in Jesus, reconciles us. The word reconciled in verse 10 means to change mutually. In other words, God takes the first step. He sent His Son to die for our sins. We take the next step by trusting in that, by believing in that, by taking God at His word. Remember what Abraham did? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. God takes the first step. He makes the promise. We take the next step. We believe it by faith, what God says to us, and a change takes place. Jesus, as I said last week, there's this great exchange takes place. Jesus took our sin, and he gives us his righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin, that through him we might become the very righteousness of God. That's what reconciliation is about. The word reconciliation, or atonement, some translations put it in verse 11, is built on the same word that we just looked at, the word reconcile, but it means to exchange. It means to be restored to divine favor. Favor. God exchanged Jesus for our sin. Jesus died on the cross for our sin. And through faith in Him, He justifies us and He makes us just like we've never sinned. So instead of God being our judge, God now becomes our Father. That's a pretty big transition, isn't it? That's a big change taking place. That's what reconciliation means. Instead of God judging you and condemning you, now you're His child. Now you're in a permanent relationship with Him. Now you stand forever in the grace that I talked about earlier in the message. How does that happen? How do we get reconciled with God? Verse 9 tells us, We have now been justified by faith in His blood. Jesus shed His blood for our sins. That's our only hope. We live in a sophisticated day and time where sometimes people will get high and mighty in their church doctrine and not want to talk about the shed blood of Jesus as though that's not something dignified to talk about. But some of the same people go to the movies and watch bloodshed all the time and never think twice about it. You better be glad that Jesus shed His blood because that's your only hope. And that's my only hope. And that's the only payment we have for our sin. How did it happen? He justifies us by His shed blood. Verse 8 told us He loved us while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. If He loved us then, can you imagine how much He loves us now that we are justified? You see what happens once we're justified? If He loved us when we were sinners enough to send Jesus to die for us, what about now that we belong to Him? What about now that we have been reconciled? What about now that we've been forgiven? What about now that He's our Father and we're His child? How much more does He love us now? Is the point that Paul's making here. Imagine how much more that God loves us now that we have faith in Him. So much so that He will spare us from the very wrath of God. Like I said a moment ago, that's not a popular theme in our culture today or in church today. But the Bible still talks about the wrath of God. The Bible still says that God will bring judgment against sin. And your only hope and my only hope is this. I can let God's wrath for my sin have been paid for by Jesus or I can experience God's wrath myself. Later on in the day of judgment because I refuse to believe in Jesus. That's your only choice. Jesus took the wrath of God for you, for your sins. That's why the cross was so brutal. 
That's why the crucifixion was so ugly. Because he took the wrath for all of us on the cross. You can either by faith let that be where the wrath of God is poured out. Or you can say no to Jesus and God will pour his wrath out upon you. One day in a day of judgment. Our only hope is Jesus. And he said in verse 10, If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Man, if I'm saved by his death, think about how much more I'm saved by his life. He took his life back up on the third day to prove he had done everything necessary. Not only that, guess what? He lives his life in you by his spirit when you receive Christ as Savior. He's at the right hand of God praying for you. If he loved you before you became his child, how much more does he love you now? J. Sidlow Baxter was a theologian from years ago. Here's a quote from him. He says, The true Christian life which begins with a supernatural transition. The moment you receive Christ as your Savior, transition happens. Consists and continues in a supernatural transfusion. The very life and nature of Christ are transfused into the inmost being of the Christian believer by the Holy Spirit. Thus our Savior's word is fulfilled because I live, ye shall live also. Verse 11, he says, more than that. Can you see the theme in all these verses? Much more, much more now, more than that. More than that, he says, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That word rejoice means boast. We saw it earlier. More than that, we boast in God through Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Instead of you and I being afraid and fearful and guilt in our lives, if you know you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you've been reconciled to God, completely, totally forgiven. And you ought to have peace in your heart, peace in your life. Satan wants to come along and say, Remember when? Remember what you did. Our response is, remember when. Remember what Jesus did. Remember what he did on the cross for us. That through him we can have everlasting life. Paul writes in Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. How can we do that? Because of Jesus. Because of what he did for us. Because of our faith in him. Carl Barth is it like this and I'm going to read you a couple verses and we're going to close and have an invitation but Carl Barth says this into the depth of our predicament talking about our lost condition as sinners the word is spoken from on high by grace you've been saved to be saved does not mean to be a little encouraged or a little comforted or a little relieved notice the way he phrases this it means to be pulled out like a log from a burning fire. That's the way we ought to feel. Trusting in Jesus shouldn't be, oh, I feel a little bit better. It ought to be, man, it is settled for all eternity. I have peace in my life. I have peace with God. I have the peace of God because of what He's done for me. I've been totally saved for all times. Faith in Jesus Christ alone is what will give you peace. Works will never do it because you never know when you've done enough. Only faith in Jesus will give you peace. Anything else, Isaiah addresses. And he says this. Next slide. Isaiah 
said this, God through the pen of Isaiah said, there's no, pay, there's no peace, saith the Lord to the wicked. There's no peace for you if you don't know Jesus. There's no chance of you really having peace without Jesus. Jesus spoke these words in John. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. See, the world will give you a little bit of peace and yank the rug out from underneath you. Jesus said, not as the world gives do I give you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And later on, on the other side of the crucifixion, the Bible says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Man, they did that to Jesus. They might do it to us. All of a sudden, the resurrected Lord comes in and pays them a visit. Jesus came and He stood among them. And He said to them, notice what Jesus says. Peace be with you. That's what He says. And then notice what He does. He shows them His hands in His side. You know why? That's the basis of my peace. That's the foundation of my peace. That Jesus Christ died for me and took his life back up. That through faith in him, I can have everlasting life. Let's pray. Father, God, I pray if there's someone today that's been in this service that does not have peace with you because they've never trusted Christ as their Savior Father I pray right now that God that they would recognize that they're a sinner without hope they would recognize they cannot be good enough or work their way to heaven they would take you at your word and believe that Jesus died on the cross and right now God, that they would pray and trust in Jesus and Him alone for their salvation. God, give them peace with you. Father, I pray for all of us, those that have faith in you, and yet we might be going through difficulties and trials and problems in our lives. We might feel like we're in a rut and that heavy sled is just being pulled back and forth across the top of us. God, I pray that you give us the peace of God that you'd help us to understand that the suffering that you allow in our lives is for a purpose. And with you, we can make it through and have hope that will never, ever make us ashamed as we face the problems and the trials of life. God, I pray right now that we'd be reminded of the great peace we ought to have because you loved us so much that even though we're sinners, Christ died on the cross for our sins. God, thank you for reconciling us. Thank you that you, through your Son, has made it possible for us to be spared your wrath because Jesus took it for us. Give us peace right now. Help us to celebrate the peace that we ought to have because we have faith in Jesus. If there's someone here without that faith, God, give them that faith so they might be made at peace with you and experience your peace in their lives. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Condemnation means that God...
will condemn us for our sin. Justification means that God will never condemn us for our sin because He's made us just like we've never sinned when we believed in Jesus as Savior. Really, the question for you this morning is, is this. Have, have you believed in Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on the cross for your sins? Do you have the kind of faith we talked about earlier? The faith of that culture in Mexico that their word describes faith? Have you taken seriously what God has obligated Himself to do for you? He's obligated Himself to forgive you. He's obligated Himself to give you eternal, everlasting life, to look at you just like you've never sinned if you'll receive Christ as Savior. Have you taken God seriously at that? If not, please come as John sings. Please stand. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.